Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, you'll hear from the authors that make Supply Chain Management Review such a special publication. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments now to today's episode. Well, welcome to a special episode of Talking Supply Chain. Well, where do we go next? Joining me today is Jake Barr. Jake was a longtime supply chain executive with Procter & Gamble and is now the CEO and principal at Blue World Supply Chain Consulting. Jake, welcome. Thanks, Bob. Happy to be here. Well, thank you. Now, you may not recall this, but Jake was one of the first people to reach out to me when I took on my role at SCMR almost 10 years ago. And his email began by telling me that I had really big shoes to fill, replacing Frank Quinn, the magazine's founder. And he was correct about that. Uh, Frank was kind of a legend and, uh, and you know, was an icon to, uh, to follow. Uh, but Jake has also offered to help in any way he could over the years. He was one of the very first supply chain executives I met in my new role. He had brought a group of, it, it seemed like 300 uh, P&G employees to one of MIT's annual events. Um, I got to meet Jake uh, in person there and also uh, talk to a bunch of the colleagues that he had brought uh, brought along. And in fact, whenever I go to a major supply chain event, it seems as if Jake is in the middle of everything, even if he's cruising around on a scooter after an accident. Um, last, along with his years of experience at P&G, um, I think Jake may have the most expen- extensive Rolodex in the business due to his consulting firm. So Jake, Get us started. Can you just tell me a little bit about your career uh, at P&G and then what you do at Blue World? Well, Bob, thank you. And uh, I, I appreciate the fact you actually did have big shoes to fill, but you, you know, Phil, but you're a legend in and of yourself. So thanks for the <laughs> time least, today. At least in my own mind. <laughs> Look, uh, like many, I was actually blessed to, to work for a world-class uh, corporation that had a pretty much an unmatched type of uh, innovation engine really focused on bringing breakthrough and how it managed the day-to-day operations and got my uh i'll call it my feet under me by a lot of operating assignments across our divisions it taught me a lot about process manufacturing across different types of products and categories and then really helping to understand very importantly the distinction in how to serve the market because of the geographic mass you know, across 100 plus countries and you know the honor to help build that capability across multiple regions of the world you know post my retirement and the work that i did for the gates foundation trying to help build a new vaccine uh, supply chain heading into the african continent i was uh, asked to join a boutique firm, we we do work across six industry verticals, everything from life science, pharma, industrials, uh, consumer goods, consumer staples, uh, retail, automotive, fast fashion. So we're, we're blessed to really have our fingers in, I'll call it seeing all of the moving pieces and understanding kind of really what what's popping and what's what the real needs that may be emerging. So it's it's been a blessing to be able to do that. Um, you're you're right. I know a lot of people across the industry. I call it misery loves company. You know, as uh, you know, being blessed in my pedigree of at working at P and G. You know, 
the company was so large, we competed against so many that you really had to go out and build relationships across verticals to get the opportunity to continually learn, to understand what might be on the edge that could be considered as something to leverage across your vertical that was being tried someplace else. So shamelessly stealing and reapplying, I think is uh, par for the course because it makes everyone better. You know, that, that last line is actually kind of funny. One of my very first editors, <clears throat> when I started writing, I was at Yankee magazine and um, y- Yankee's a, a, a very well-known regional magazine in new England. And um, the, uh, the, the uh, editor uh, in chief whose family founded the magazines once said to me, Bob steal, but steal from the best. So, so there you go. When you when you talk about shamelessly borrowing, you know, Jake, I've never asked, how did you get started in supply chain management? Well, um, literally an operating assignment uh, inside the company. So, you know, the, uh, you know, I'm blessed because, you know, P&G's way of developing people and preparing them for more responsibility and, and broader scale is, is uh, honestly, it's one of the best. And so, it really puts you through the ringer of learning not only technical skills, but importantly, learning and being able to apply, I'll call it advanced problem solving and, and people skills. Because look, at its core, what is supply chain? Supply chain for most companies tends to represent the majority of the employee base of an operation. And so as many marketing executives and financial and HR support personnel or IT organization um, support people there may be, by and large, your largest investment in people assets is in the supply chain. So it means you need to have bright, competent people to be able to do that. So, you know, I'm, I'm a strong believer in the capabilities that are built in most supply chain leaders. And I, I think for that reason, especially post-pandemic, you're seeing a number of them tab for COO roles and a number of other things because of their comp. Um, you just referenced, you know, uh, P&G's capabilities and breakthroughs over the years. And I'm guess, guessing, you know, as, as many years as you were there, you were witness to some of the really important changes that they implemented in their um, supply chains. Um, I just did an event this week where um, Ignacio Arends, their, uh, now their VP, of uh, global distribution was one of my speakers. Yes. And one of the things he talked about was an evolution from, you know, what they called supply chain 1.0 to supply chain 2.0 to now supply chain um, 3.0. When you look back over those years, you were at P&G, what were the most important, you know, innovations or developments that you were part of and you think, you know, move the industry forward? Because as you say, P&G is a leader. Yeah, Bob, I think to be fair, um, it, it was, it's, you know, the developments were more than just P&G, but it was actually an awakening that took place with the recognition to begin um, getting out of what I'll call uh, the old style way of thinking about uh, going to market. So think of it as uh, an inside out mentality where you know, I've got a plan, I'm going to push product to the market, and then I'm going to hope it sells. Um, so we, 
we coined it as consumer-driven supply network, but it was really about outside-in mentality, designing back from the touch point with the consumer back and really stepping back and understanding honestly all of the things and the processes and the technology that was going to be required to allow us to have a more uh, a closer response time to that consumer interaction or the demand signal and so that set us on a course obviously uh, it's been well documented but the the fundamental underpinning was that outside-in mentality. And when you think about that, that changes everything. It changes the way that you think about doing demand planning. It, th it changes the way that you think about queuing your production schedules. It changes the way you think about your replenishment and deployment models for product across channel partners. It changes the way that you think about dealing and, and building relationships with not only your segment partners, uh, that touch the consumer, but also upstream in the ecosystem. So as you know, Ignacio talks about 3.0, that's getting really to understand that the, the ecosystem uh, is indispensable. The, you, you must have in today's age, a connected end-to-end -end ecosystem that ties together all of the players that you involve as partners. It's no longer okay to have, well, I kind of know my part of the puzzle uh, of what I own physically asset wise. And you know, the rest of it, I just expect to go well. No, uh, it, it just doesn't work that way. There's so many moving parts and the reaction times to market and the expectations, which are continuing to increase from the consumers that it just ratchets up your need to tie all these things together in a way. And so it's really putting pressure on your process execution. It's putting pressure on how you think about your technology integration. And it's obviously putting pressure on the skill level that you need in the organization to accomplish all of this. Do you think, so you've used a phrase a couple of times on the outside in, uh, let, let me just throw something out there. I did an interview a couple of weeks ago uh, with a guy named Len DeCandia mm -hmm. and Len just uh, retired as the global CPO for J&J. &J. And what he was talking about with me was that for a number of years in supply chain, we invested in the customer facing part of our business, you know, and, and, and his phrase was, you know, we invested in CRM, but we were investing in the customer side with the assumption, kind of what you were going to that, well, the supply, that'll go fine. You know, we're J and J we'll just go beat them over the head and they'll do what we want. Um, and he said, you know, that worked because we were in an era of abundance when there was lots of supply and lots of suppliers. And he said, you know, we're now in his view in an era of scarcity, one that he's not convinced is transitory. Um, Nor am and I. He said, yeah. And he said, you know, we have not invested in SRM or our supplier relations. And he said, even, he said, I would get a budget and 70% of that budget assumed 
I was going to spend it internally when most of our, you know, spend actually was with third parties. So his argument was the companies that are going to win going forward are the companies that have developed the relationships with their supply base so that they've got product, you know, on the shelf, whether it's in the warehouse for the, you know, direct to customer or on the store shelf. Does that resonate with you? It was oh, a long absolutely. question, I realize. So, no, 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 so go ahead. Bob, it, it's, it's completely spot on. And it's a, honestly, I'm going to use the term, it's an awakening that is happening across many verticals and many top companies, a recognition that they actually need to have this interconnectivity integration with their, I call them the ecosystem partners, right? It's the packing material supplier. It's the raw material supplier. It's the command site. It's the kitting site. It's a deployment site. It's a fill in the blank. And it's not just a casual connection. It's I need to be able to peer in and see exactly what work you currently have scheduled. What are the outages you may be experiencing? What's queued up? Are you ahead of schedule? Are you behind schedule? Because the dynamics that he's talking about in terms of the scarcities, look, we're, we're having failures, variance failures across multiple nodes of the supply chain all at once. Many, as he was describing, look, you used to be able to just say, hey, I'm good enough that I can deal with slight variability. Well, I would submit to you that most companies were designed using the old buffer term to deal with maybe one issue of disruption. But we're talking about concurrent disruption that's happening across multiple levels. I've got a material supplier that has a factory that goes down. It's either due to COVID, it's due to a quality concern, it's due to a production short of technology. You can't get spare parts for lines. It's due to a logistics supplier. It's due to a kitting um, or a co-man or co-packing location that has a labor shortage or an automation shutdown, again, because of a part of a production problem or whatever. And these things are compounding the difficulty in being able to manage just the basic activities of owning up to your responsibility for having good service levels to your partners. So I am a huge fan of what he says. In fact, well over half of our business today is in those areas of helping companies think through, I call it the crawl, walk, run steps of how do I get my arms around this? What are the one or two things I can do quickly to start getting an improvement and what do I need to double down on as he's, he's referring to, to make sure I'm properly addressing how much of a risk factor this really represents to me. Uh, we, we talked a minute ago about, um, you know, some of the important developments over the years at P&G, you know, in your current position, you're dealing with a lot of companies and, uh, and companies across verticals, you know, what, and we may have just talked about one of them, what do you think have been the most important developments in the last couple of years in chain management? Have to deal with failures across, uh, you know, multivariable areas in the supply network has put a tremendous amount of strain in the the planning world, right? And so we 
we could talk for days about how people are dealing with that. There, there, there's also a push because of these gaps uh, where folks have kind of woken up a bit too late, in my opinion, to understanding the fact that they needed to be doing more dynamic scenario evaluation of their ability uh, to deliver their plan. Because let's be blunt, I don't care what you have and what you're doing. No plan is perfect and it will never be. It doesn't matter whether it's your supply plan, your supplier plan, your materials plan, your demand plan, whatever. So it has created the need for you to be able to understand with some clarity the level of certainty around the plan that you just put together. Look, I'm going to go out and need to make pr a promise to a number of segment partners. And, you know, they just don't want to take a yes or a no. They want to understand, hey, what's the level of certainty you have that you're going to be able to deliver what you say that you're going to do? So that there's no question that that has uh, jumped up. There, there has been an explosion, obviously, in the role that um, artificial intelligence and machine learning can play in the space, because let's be blunt, Look, the supply chain space is one where you're not just dealing with a couple of shipments. And most of these firms that you and I interact with, have experience with, we're talking, you know, a month is millions or hundreds of millions of shipments or transactions, right? And so it's just something that you cannot do manually uh, at an individual planner or human level without some kind of assist. So. There's been, I will say, some novel work to unleash and empower frontline people with, I'll call it, um, in a crawl stage, it can be as simple as some uh, more powerful analytic capability. In a more walk stage towards run, it's more the use of those those MI, AI ML capabilities to create more predictive, um, interactive capability that actually keeps you ahead of the curve and understanding where failure points are starting to bubble up and get you ahead of the game on that. So look, Supply chain is gainful lifetime employment. There will never be a area or a time when we really aren't stressed because the moment we think we have it figured out, you know, you've got another consumer expectation that gets edged up um, and then we're chasing that again. So, but there is, there's good solid work. Some that should have been undertaken, I'll call it more than a few years ago that folks are waking up to, but there's progress being made. Uh, you know, you referenced a minute ago um, uh, what, what I think people are calling probabilistic planning. And uh, you and I were on a webinar together with some, you know, some very impressive companies. And yet they were struggling with how to get there. So is, is the market ready for this? Well, I think, again, it is, Bob, but it's it's depending on the maturity of the firm that you're dealing with. Right. Look, we we have a. Uh, there is no cookie cutter approach when it comes to the use of, um, I'll call it uh, more intelligent solutions, because 
it also depends upon what level of process maturity you have and and especially what kind of organizational maturity you have i.e what kind of people capability you're dropping this in on top of but i have been witness to watching productive use of the capability for example to say just an analytics version of okay we've just done a machine learning analysis of your plan and we think it's only about a 60 percent probability that's going to come together and here are your two pinch points now they give it to them in an analytic view to where now you still have to roll up your sleeves and go work on for example uh, the material supply shortage they're projecting based on the performance of the core suppliers over the last couple of weeks or the production area that they think is at risk so that piece isn't perfect but it's a good starting point right and i've also seen more advanced uses of it where you can actually spin this up and use it in a snop context to really talk about from a margin and revenue planning standpoint what level of certainty we have against for example closing out the month the quarter etc when i was at gartner one of the things that struck me was um how many new software companies there were that i wasn't familiar with and a lot of them in the planning spaces what are the capa capabilities and and um you know features that are coming to planning we don't have to mention names but coming yeah. into planning that weren't there before. Well, I mean, Bob, the whole AI ML space, look, and it, you know, if we were to dial this back about, uh, call it three years before, while AI and ML was being used in a couple of areas of business, quite frankly, it was being used more in, a, I call it an R&D context or a lab-based context, right? Um, it really has come to the forefront in, I'll call it operations, uh, basis. So think of that as uh, in a manufacturing context to understand weak points, failure points, and unit op um, uh, chassis. It, and as you, you noted, uh, in the supply chain space. Now, I, I will tell you, in my opinion right now, to a great extent, uh, while it's in the supply chain space and it's in the planning space, to be fair, it's really not end-to-end -end supply chain yet. And the reason for that is honestly, most of the firms that I interact with, no matter what vertical we're talking about, uh, much like we started the discussion, are really starting to for, for the first time to connect their ecosystems, really bring in information from their partner. So whether it's a material partner, again, a, a production partner, a co-man, a kitting center, a, a, um, a distribution partner, et cetera. So that has been the limitation because for the AIML really to bear huge amount of fruits on that for an end-to-end -end understanding of predictive failures, et cetera, it's got to have access to the information, right? Now, having said that, I always like to be very you know me, Bob, I'm very pragmatic, right? You can take whatever, you know, planning environment you're using in the supply chain today and turbocharge it just by bolting on some of this capability. So while many people aren't yet ready to, 
to be able to reap the benefits of using it full end to end, you still can get benefit out of it right now. Jake, last question. I was going to ask you about technologies, but you've hit on several of them. So, uh, so a little different question. If you think about the, the skill set that was required of you as a supply chain leader versus the skill set you think the leaders going forward are going to need, how do you think it's going to change and what are the skill set of supply chain leaders going to need? Well, there's no question that you're still going to have to have a technical base. You're still going to have to have um, problem solving skills. You're still going to have to have um, the ability to lead and develop others from an organizational context, just simply because of the bandwidth. But uh, Baba, it, it's a great question. To me, it's the the data science element of it. You know, in the in the past, as much as you know, we may have engineering backgrounds, etc. In the supply chain space, we really aren't uh, data scientists at heart. Uh, I'll call it um, being able to use. Uh, toolkits that are designed to actually allow you to query and ask open-ended questions around the performance of operations and then to be able to analyze it. So um, uh, there are firms out there, you've mentioned one that I came from, I, I'm you know blessed again that they are in their third generation because they are fundamentally um, I think you may have heard the term citizen developer used, right? And really, you know, let's demystify that. What that really is about, it's empowering people with powerful capability for them to go solve problems faster. That's all it is. But it's changing the boundaries, the traditional boundaries. In the past, we would have said, okay, there's a handoff to an IT organization where there's then going to be some analyst who is off on the side trying to pull together information. Well, guess what? With the AIML capability, you can actually bring that to the frontline person. And they're able to query all that very rapidly in seconds without uh, having to have the additional handoff. So. I, I, I view that as absolutely vital moving forward. The, uh, uh, the citizen developer was part of what uh, P&G presented on uh, at our event. So, uh, and it was a great presentation. It, was, uh, it, it really made an impression. Well, Jake, thank you. That's all the time we have today. Uh, special thanks to Jake Barr for joining us and thank you for listening. Talking Supply Chain is produced by Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media. You can find it on scmr.com, on iTunes, or under SC247, or just Google SC247 Podcasts. For more information, be sure to visit scmr.com. We hope you'll join us again.